good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Tributes continue to pour in for South Africa's Minister and the Presidency, Jackson Mtembo. And South Africa's Public Protector appears in court. In economics news, South African Reserve Bank leaves the interest rate unchanged. And in sports news, a South African cricket team ready to play first series in Pakistan. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. Aman Musa, good morning. South Africans have taken to social media to pay tribute to Minister and the Presidency Jackson Mtimbu, who died of COVID-19-related complications. Political parties say they will remember Mtimbu for his passion for South Africa and being fiercely vocal on what he believed in. EFF Deputy President Floyd Shivambu praised Mtimbu for his stance on land expropriation. Minister Mtimbu was amongst the very few incorruptible leaders in government. He was one of the most dedicated and principled political leaders. He was not always blown by the wind he always stuck to principle we worked with him very well when he was the chief whip of the majority party and under his guidance of the anc parliamentary majority caucus so amongst his legacies is the fact that south africa is going to expropriate land without composition we say to minister mtembo that may your soul rest in perfect peace Home Affairs Minister Arun Mutsuledi has described the late minister and the president Mtimbu as a very principled man. The death of Minister Mtimbu is very devastating to some of us. The pain is cutting very deep into the, in the flesh of the movement and the government as a whole. Minister Mtimbu was very upright and extremely principled. He's one person who never shy, shy away from taking a particular stand. I was very close to him, but uh, being so close does not mean if Minister Jackson Tempe wants to differ with you, he's going to shy away from that. In his first full day in office, U.S. President Joe Biden has asserted federal control over the fight against coronavirus, saying it would require a wartime undertaking to defeat the disease. Emphasis is being placed on testing, mask wearing and Biden's commitment to vaccinating 100 million people in his first 100 days in office. The BBC's Peter Bowers reports. President Biden has uh, described the Trump administration's efforts, uh, especially as it applies to getting the vaccine out as a dismal failure. So he says he has a, a lot of work to do there. He's signing these executive orders and 100 million vaccines vaccines in 100 days. Does sound ambitious and uh, he was actually challenged on that by one reporter who questioned whether it was ambitious enough and he said well look let's start somewhere. He is determined to make a dent on the uh, growing crisis and uh, he has suggested that it could get worse before it gets better. 
South Sudan's army has sent a team to investigate the killings of civilians in Paloke town close to many oil fields in Upper Nile State. Local media reports that seven people were shot dead as they slept in their homes by unidentified armed men. Paloke is a busy town thanks to the oil industry and many foreign nationals also live there. Many blame the incident on the administrative vacuum in the Upper Nile, South Sudan's largest oil producing state. A power sharing agreement, part of last year's peace deal aimed at ending six years of civil war means that the party of Vice President Rahik Machai gets to choose the governor for Upper Nile. And finally, the European Union may help train Mozambican troops to help step up the fight against religious militants. The announcement was made by Portugal's foreign minister who is on a three-day visit to Mozambique, representing the EU's top diplomat, Josep Borrell. Humanitarian assistance for the population of the northern province of Cabo Delgado, which has been under attack from militants since October 2017, driving an estimated 570,000 people from their home was also mentioned. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa 1. On Twitter, at Channel Africa 1 and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Our tributes continue to pour in following the death of South Africa's Minister in the Presidency, Jackson Mtembu. Mtembu died on Thursday due to COVID-19 related complications. He was admitted to hospital last week following abdominal pains and tested positive for coronavirus. He was 62 years old. Abongile Dumako has more. On the 11th of this month, Minister in the Presidency, Jackson Mtembu, took to Twitter and informed South Africa that he tested positive for COVID-19. The Twitter wrote, Today I visited the military hospital in Swane to get medical attention for an abdominal pain. After undergoing tests, I tested positive for COVID-19. Plans are afoot to get my family members and close associates get tested as well. Up to this far, the tweet is the last one that he posted. Now the country hears of the news of his passing. Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Naledi Pando, has expressed her devastation at the passing of the 62-year-old Mtembu. Pando hailed Mtembu for his immense contribution to the ruling party in South Africa. To be honest, I am totally devastated. I, I just cannot believe that Comrade Jackson is gone. He gave his working life, his youth, his commitment to our country, to the struggle for freedom from a school boy right through his, to his adulthood and even up to today. Um, his presence in the ANC was just so, you know, tremendous. On a political front, Jackson Mtembu, as the member of the ANC, played a huge role in different leadership positions from his hometown and province of Mpumalanga, to when he was the national spokesperson of the ANC. Deputy Secretary General Jesse Duarte says his death leaves big shoes to fill. The space that he took 
could not will not be able to be filled very easily. Um, we will always love him and we're going to miss him dearly. And we hope that as we go on in the next couple of days, we will find a way to heal ourselves, but to understand that the real issue here is that we all have to mind the period we are in and that COVID is not playing with anybody. COPE spokesperson Dennis Blum says Mtembo died fighting and serving the country. It is a very sad day, uh, not only to his family, but to the entire country. You know, Jackson Mtembu died with his boots on. This man was, was, was there for the people of this country. Before he was appointed as minister, Jackson Mtembu was on the ground. Yeah. Uh, we are very saddened. EFF has paid tribute to the late Mtembu who served as the minister in the presidency before his untimely death. EFF Deputy President Floyd Shivambu says Mtembu was incorruptible and praised him for his stance and work on land expropriation. Minister Mtembu was amongst the very few incorruptible leaders in government. He was one of the most dedicated and principled political leaders. He was not always blown by the wind. He always stuck to principle. We worked with him very well when he was a chief whip of the majority party and under his guidance of the ANC parliamentary majority caucus. So amongst his legacies is the fact that South Africa is going to expropriate land without composition. We say to Minister Mtembu that may your soul rest in perfect peace. FF Plus leader Peter Ronewald says he will remember Mtembu as a friendly and professional person who respected his colleagues regardless of political affiliation. It's one outstanding feature of uh, Mr. Jackson Mtembu and that was that it doesn't matter whether he had different political views, he always treated me and my colleagues with friendliness and with respect. Of course, I also want to express my sympathy towards the ANC as a political organization. They've lost a stalwart and a very hard worker in the ANC. Now, funeral arrangements for the late Jackson Mtembu are yet to be finalized. I'm Abongile Tumago in Johannesburg. This is Channel Africa. South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite from an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunya Ndovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective on the coronavirus. Coronavirus is a disease that causes respiratory illness like the flu with symptoms such as a cough, fever, and in more severe cases, difficulty 
breathing. You can protect yourself by washing your hands frequently, avoiding touching your face, and avoiding close contact one meter or three feet with people who are unwell. If you suspect to have contracted COVID-19, contact the relevant health authorities in your area. Keep listening to Channel Africa. The African Perspective will keep you updated on the latest on the coronavirus. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Aburengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa. Rise. Channel Africa. From an African perspective. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa 1. On Twitter, at Channel Africa 1. And YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.13 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. Amnesty International says Ugandan authorities must immediately lift the police and military siege of opposition leader Robert Kiagulani's home and release him and his wife Barbara Itunga Kiagulani. It says this is an arbitrary detention as the post-election blockade enters its ninth day. Robert Kiagulani, also known as Bobby Wine, was declared runner-up by the Electoral Commission in last week's presidential election with 348 percent of the vote behind President Yoweri Museveni, who it said got 58.6 percent. Bobby Wine and his National Unity Platform party have alleged fraud. To discuss this further, we have on the line Amnesty International researcher Roland Ibole. Roland, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning and I'm happy to be here. Now, Roland, what do you make of the house arrest that has taken place at Bobby Wine's house? Uh, this house arrest is uh, tantamount to, uh, you know, an arbitrary detention uh, to a great extent in, communi- in communicado detention. You remember this happened as well to uh, 2016 to the then presidential candidate uh, for opposition, uh, Dr. Kiza Besiche. And so, uh, happening immediately after elections, we see this as a ploy by government to prevent uh, the opposition from challenging presidential election results in court. What are they exactly accused of, and uh, what are the charges they may be facing? Exactly. So, there is uh, right now what the police say that this is uh, a preventive, uh, as an to prevent. Uh, you know, Bobby Wine and, uh, you know, uh, 
know, for meeting its supporters and uh, creating uh, chaos. But again, we can see, you know, that this is not an uncognizable offense, whereby you just decide that uh, you're going to arrest and hold somebody in their house uh, for this number of days. I remember in Uganda immediately after election, um, a grieving presidential candidate, uh, you know, has got until, uh, you know, within the must file an election petition challenging results within 10 days. And uh, Robert Chagulani or anybody else that uh, is not satisfied with the results uh, has until 26th of January to file their petition. So you can imagine presenting or holding, uh, you know, a presidential candidate that is agreed with the results for this number of days. You're already disorganizing them and, uh, you know, preventing them from uh, really uh, going to court. And how have uh, Bobby Wine's supporters reacted to the detention and the blockade? That is the other thing. Uh, you know, you find that uh, already uh, Bobby Wine supporters have been arrested in large numbers. The national unity platform, uh, Bobby Wine's party, uh, and supporters of the party agents and many others, uh, have been arrested, and this arrest started actually pre-election. You remember on 30th uh, December, we had, uh, you know, Bobby Wine's assistant, Nubi and Lee and others arrested uh, for, you know, inciting violence and, uh, you know, acts likely to spread uh, COVID-19, uh, which is a, a regulation that has been used uh, to replace the, the Public Order Management Act that was initially used to arrest uh, opposition supporters. And at that time, they arrested uh, his supporters in hundreds. Immediately after election, again, they arrested his party agents and supporters across the country. So already the, the government, the state, has mobilized uh, his, uh, his supporters and people that would have organized anything that you know uh, would have been in some form of a protest. So Uganda is going into a, a process whereby no one is really speaking into uh, an election misconduct that loudly because everyone is afraid the military has been used to really uh, intimidate uh, the opposition supporters. And so uh, we are seeing a situation whereby the government is succeeding in avoiding uh, scrutiny and accountability. We've seen in media reports where Bobby Wine has come out pointing out the fact that people have uh, come to his property, um, his security was threatened and uh, his family was threatened and now the house arrest. Um, Has he said anything else after the house arrest has taken place? No, the only thing that he has said is that uh, he's running out of... of, um, of of food supply. Uh, of course, you know that on 18 January, uh, military personnel stopped uh, the, um, uh, the U.S. ambassador from uh, visiting uh, him. The government uh, said that one has refused to see lawyers that uh, they allowed to go see him. And Bobby Wayne has said that, look, you cannot measure my, my rights. You cannot measure my freedom. You cannot decide who I see. And so has uh, he, uh, I would say rightly so, he says that, you know, I, I will not be able to, to, to see it as in anyone. However, his lawyers uh, will be in court, um, uh, and I think it will be uh, today, basically, to really see, uh, you know, the list of uh, this, this, uh, this house arrest. 
Now, what do you make of the intimidation of opposition supporters? You touched on the fact that some of them might be arrested already or, uh, you know, be intimidated by uh, the leadership of the country. Um, you know, uh, what what else is, is, is taking place that we are not aware of? in some parts of the country in a place called Luero and Mapaka and we already saw at least four people killed, including a child. So already we can see that uh, they have been, uh, you know, states, uh, you know, state-sponsored violence in, in that sense. And uh, we are also seeing a situation in which, um, you know, with the deployment of the military, which is uh, saved or rumored to last until May, uh, you know, we will see uh, a population that will definitely be subdued, not to speak. And the appeal to authorities, what is your appeal to the authorities of a country? We basically appeal for the authority, one, to lift the house arrest, very important, and second, keep the range, you know, for courts, and uh, the other thing that we also are feeling is for the government to really respect the Roland, we are losing you. Your line is not very clear. Can you just repeat that for us? Yes. Roland? All right, we seem to have lost that connection to um, Roland Ibole, who was just giving us an update with regards to what's taking place in Uganda and Bobby Wine and his family's house arrest and what their appeal is um, to the government of Uganda. That's Amnesty International researcher for Uganda, Roland Ibole, joining us on the line. Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. At 7.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. The United Nations General Assembly proclaimed the 24th of January as International Day of Education in celebration of the role of education for peace and development. This year, the day will be celebrated for the third time under the theme Recover and Revitalize Education for the COVID-19 Generation. Even in the new year, the COVID pandemic continues to present serious challenges for learning. Battling with the second wave of the respiratory infection, South Africa has been forced to delay reopening of schools until next month. To discuss this further, we are now joined on the line by Gundom B, who is a principal at Spark School in Soweto, south of Johannesburg. Gundom, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Hi, good morning, Lulu. How are you doing? Well, very well, thanks. And hopefully you're keeping safe as well. Now, 
Let's reflect on how the COVID-19 pandemic has changed traditional teaching and learning in classrooms. Yes, um, it has changed. Us. We had to transform. Um, it was not a planned tran- a transition for us as the country, but I believe that um, we did quite a bit, and there's a lot that we still need to do. Um, at Spark School, what we offer is blended learning. So instructions are not happening only in the classroom. Learning still continues with kids at home via offline packs and online live with the teachers actually teaching live. Now, what's your take on the debate around unlocking technology to deliver education, especially given um, the socio-economic status of our country? Uh, I believe that education uh, and, and technology needs to play hand in hand in this one. Um, and our mission as uh, a Spark School is that we believe South Africa will lead global education. And for that to take place, technology and blended learning needs to get into our classrooms. It needs to be something that we're using because instructions uh, doesn't consist primarily of lecturing to students who sit in rows and desks anymore. So we really, really need to engage and properly, properly move with the time where we introduce technology in all classrooms so that we can cope more, especially during this difficult time. Now, the COVID generation and uh, the need for new skills, what do you think an ideal curriculum should look like for both adults and children post-COVID? Okay, so like I said, for us to be ahead in education, we need technology. And the curriculum that we have as a country currently, um, it does work, but then it puts us in the back foot when we had now find ourselves with this pandemic where in our classrooms we don't have uh, as much technology as we would have wished. Um, and that is that means that some of our scholars in remote areas are struggling to actually engage with the content and learn because technology was not something that we, we, we focused on implementing in classrooms to give instruction. Uh, I believe that the curriculum we have right now, yes, it's great. We have come back and we are one of the countries who are ahead and tried and educate scholars during COVID-19, which I believe we are trailblazing. The only, the only thing that we are looking in currently is technology and engaging it in our classrooms. Um, but they are not just Spark schools, but there are other schools who have already engaged with education, where blended learning has always been a focus. So I believe that we just need to actually learn and look at home at what's being implemented by other schools and just implementing government schools. Now, Agunda, you know, uh, in terms of uh, um, the postponement of reopening of schools, and it's, it's literally just around the corner now, um, your plans as Spark Schools um, following the postponement, uh, obviously, you've, as you've touched on the fact that you've gone online, um, you know, what are the plans going forward? And will you be opening come, um, you know, the 15th of uh, February or is it a week earlier? Uh, we will be opening on the 15th of February. I believe that uh, one of our core values, which actually spells out our school name, is Service, Assistance, Achievement, Responsibility, and Kindness. And in service to our country, we are going to be opening on the 15th of February with everyone else. Um, but we are going to continue to offer different um, modes of learning to our parents and our scholars. So we will have your cohort kind of face-to-face learning happening 
where a child comes to school today and then another one comes tomorrow to try and avoid that um, that link between the two groups and just try and protect the kids uh, as far as we can. Uh, we will still have parents who opt to say, I don't want to take my child back to school right now. Uh, I just want to learn online. You'll still have teachers delivering instructions online. It is traditionally the same timetable, the same lessons happening in live sessions. And then we're going to have parents who say, I might not have data. Okay, this is parents are saying, I don't have data, technology, uh, as common load shedding is a reality. So therefore, I would rather come and pick up a pack and come and drop it off for the teacher to give me feedback. And then that's how we've had. We implemented this uh, last year in 2020. It has been highly successful. We have had kids who just learn online. So that's just our thing. We are going to go forward and offer the parents the education that we promised and try and make sure that South Africa leads global education. Now, Gundo, your message in commemoration of International Day of Education? Uh, I believe that uh, if you're a teacher out there, I want you to just pat yourself on the back. Um, you are a hero. You have done an incredible, incredible job uh, during this pandemic. We know that most of our parents are going back to work. We are trying to recover the economy. And the teachers are soldiers in making sure that we are looking after the kids, the kids safe. So I want you to say to all the young teachers out there, you are doing an incredible, incredible job. We are so proud of you. And we just want you to keep pushing. We will get through this pandemic. And anyone else who's looking to become a teacher, I highly recommend it. And thank you for all the work that educators are doing. We really consider them to be frontline workers, just like our health workers who are doing the best that they can out there. Thank you so much, Gunda, for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. That's Gunda B, a principal at Spark School in Soweto, south of Johannesburg, joining us on the line. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa One. On Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. SABC News, independent and impartial from an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. On the headline, South Africa's State Security Minister Ayanda Lolo says the late minister in the presidency, Jackson Mtimbu, will be difficult to replace. Mtimbu died of COVID-19-related complications after being admitted to hospital last week. European leaders have agreed that tighter travel restrictions within the bloc may be needed to limit the spread of new coronavirus variants. Suicides have increased in Japan after a decade of declines. The number of women committing suicide has surged amid the emotional and financial stress caused by the coronavirus pandemic, even as fewer men take their own lives. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. perspective. 
It's 7.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The One Billion Voices campaign led by the Global Campaign for Education will be launched virtually on the 25th of January in 2021. The campaign aims to secure an increase in public financing of education to ensure inclusive and equitable quality education for all. The launch will feature a keynote address by GCE President Rafat Sabah, screening of the One Billion Voices campaign film, regional panel discussions on the impact of COVID-19 on education and regional plans to finance education. To tell us more about this campaign and the launch, we are now joined on the line by Grant Kasowanjete, GCE Global Coordinator. Grant, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning and thanks for having me. Now, Grant, tell us more about this campaign, what it's all about and why was it formed? Okay, so this actually comes from uh, the issues around the impact of COVID on education. As we all know that, you know, uh, uh, over 1 billion learners around the globe have been affected by the pandemic. And we know that, you know, through this, um, uh, governments have had to reprioritize their budgets and most of them have been cutting money from education. So this campaign wants to elevate the impact that this pandemic has had on learners. At the same time, also draws governments to put more resources on education that education shouldn't be, you know, the place that, you know, uh, governments have to be cutting uh, resources, but rather adding more because education is a solution, you know, to the pandemic. So this is... um, uh, what this campaign is all about. Uh, we will be taking uh, um, impact stories you know, from uh, uh, people around the globe and elevating them so that you know, people can really hear the new stories of how people are being affected by COVID and in particular how uh, our learners are being impacted by it. Just speaking on education and how governments can get more involved in the financing of education, um, on the first part, um, how is this campaign going to assist in this regard to ensure that uh, governments continue um, adding more resources um, to the public services, especially on the education front? And with the World Bank, uh, you know, uh, projecting that a potential 10% um, cut in education budgets uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic could be on the cards, what do you think should be done for these rollbacks on education financing to be stopped? Yes, I think, you know, there are various ways on how government can raise more resources. Because I think this is how we need to approach this. Um, we know that, you know, in, in most of the countries in the global south, they are still using the old tax regimes. What we're calling on government is that you know, they need to revisit the tax regimes that you know, they have. They need to increase the tax base for them to be able to raise enough resources. Uh, secondly, there's also an issue of debt that you know, uh, uh, our governments are taking in a day in, day out. What we're calling on the international community and even the lenders is for them to cancel this debt. This is not the time for governments to be loading their budget with debt repayments. If we can save these two, 
If we can push for these two, number one, increasing of the tax base, number two, discussing and negotiating with all the lenders out there to cancel the date, governments will have enough money to pump into public services, including education. So basically, the campaign uh, being launched on the 25th of January, tell us a bit about it in terms of the launch and how people can be a part of the virtual event. Yes, so this is a campaign that will be launched globally. We are calling for every citizen, wherever they are, you know, to be able to be to participate because there's no one, there's no family, there's no household, there's no parent who has not been uh, um, affected by COVID. So we want them to be part of it. It will be uh, virtually uh, uh, launched, and they can uh, access the details on our website which is www.campaignforeducation.org. We have put a landing page there with all, all the materials. But also they can get involved because, you know, we have got, you know, signing in letters. We have got a campaign pack that they can use. At the, we also have social media assets that are available for them to use as well. And uh, we see that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a film, a One Billion Voices campaign film. Tell us more about the film and where it will be um, aired. Yes, so um, we are going to be part of the launch of the campaign. We are also going to air the, uh, uh, the film, but the film is also available for anyone to use. This film basically just talks through the life or what has happened and what has been the impact of education and what, you know, we all, all of us as citizens, we can do to ensure that, you know, we should put education back on its priority stand. Education is not an afterthought. It has to be prioritized because education is a solution, you know, to COVID. If we really want to achieve the, the sustainable development goals, we cannot do that outside education. So it is a little bit surprising at times when government rush to cut on education budget, you know, and yet expecting the, the citizens to be the citizens to be engaged. We have to prioritize education. The World Bank percentage that you know you have um, uh, mentioned that is the true projection. But we can plow back that 10% by uh, having innovative financing mechanisms, like the increasing of tax base, renegotiating the loans that governments have, you know, so that funds can be put into public services, including education as a whole. So this is a call to everyone, every citizen, you know, to be part of it. That is why we have even named the campaign to say one billion voices, because we want to take every learner who has been affected, take their stories, you know, so that people can hear the real um, uh, stories from the citizens and the learners themselves. Well, Grant, thank you so much for joining us and all the best for the campaign launch. And going forward, um, we wish that everything that needs to be achieved is achieved. Thank you so much. That was Grant Kasowanjete, a global coordinator of a global campaign for education, speaking to us on the line. Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. 
Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts, and if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday, and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. It's 7.39 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. The newest U.S. President Joe Biden has signed 10 further executive orders on his second day in office focusing on boosting the U.S. battle against the COVID-19 pandemic. He plans to ramp up vaccinations and testing and increase American production of masks and other essential virus-related products. His renewed efforts to combat the pandemic come amid predictions that 100,000 Americans could die from the virus in the next few weeks, adding to the death toll that has already topped 400,000. Meanwhile, America's chief medical advisor said on Thursday the mutated strain of the virus seen in South Africa has most likely not yet arrived in the United States. Nick Harper reports from Washington. President Joe Biden started his first full day in office with a time-honored tradition of attending the presidential inaugural prayer service at the Washington National Cathedral. But in these pandemic times, it was a little different. The new president attending virtually from the White House. His main order of business was more executive orders, 10 in total on Thursday, targeting COVID-19. President Biden says beating the pandemic is his number one priority. Mr Biden's 100-day plan aims to administer 100 million vaccinations and reopen schools nationwide. For the past uh, year, we couldn't rely on the federal government to act with the urgency and focus and coordination we needed. And we have seen the tragic cost of that failure. Three to 4,000 deaths per day. The death toll will likely top 500,000 next month. The cases will continue to mount. We didn't get into this mess overnight. And it's going to take months for us to turn things around. The orders create a centralized national strategy, giving more power to the federal government rather than relying on individual states to set the pace, as was the case under President Trump. As infections and deaths rise, the White House is monitoring the mutated strains of the virus seen in South Africa, the UK and Brazil. But Chief Medical Advisor Dr Anthony Fauci doesn't think the South African strain has reached the US. Thus far, it does not appear at all that the South African strain is in the United States. However, we must be honest and say that the level of comprehensive sequence surveillance thus far is not at the level that we would have liked. So we're going to be looking very, very carefully for it. But given the information we have today, it doesn't appear that the South African strain is here. On Capitol Hill, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi blasted the Trump administration, saying it had completely failed in its COVID-19 response. The Trump administration had no real plan for the production and distribution of the vaccine. From the start, in denial, delay, distortion, calling it a hoax, and now we find that they, don't ha- they didn't even have a plan. But still no word from Speaker Pelosi on when she intends to deliver the article of impeachment to the Senate, prompting Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. It'll be soon, as I said, you'll be the first to know. He 
He's accused of inciting the violent mob that stormed the Capitol building two weeks ago. A Senate conviction would prevent Mr Trump from running for president in four years' time. But even with the shadow of that impending trial hanging over Washington, there's been no wholesale Republican rejection of the former president. House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy sees a continued role for him. This president brought a lot of great success within. He brought people to the party that hadn't been involved in before, and he should continue to engage in that way. President Biden hasn't weighed in on his predecessor's impeachment, saying it's up to Congress to set the schedule. But his aides are reportedly pushing for Congress to prioritize the confirmation of the new cabinet secretaries and to move swiftly on Mr. Biden's agenda, which on Friday will shift to economic relief and efforts to get his $1.9 trillion stimulus package through Congress. Nick Harper, SABC News, Washington. Building Africa with love. Hujambo Africa. If there are holes in this continental ship, we are its children. Let us go and stop the holes. Let us gladly do it with our hearts. And if we cannot, then let us die. We will make a plug of our brains and put them into the ship, but condemn it never. Catch us on Channel Africa from 10 to 11 a.m. every Friday and Sundays from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Tune into Vision 2030 with Una Pateke and Tabila Masugu, the new show revolving around the Sustainable Development Goals and Agenda 2030. Every Tuesday, 10 to 11 a.m. Central African Time. Connect with us on all social media platforms at Channel Africa One. Hashtag Vision 2030. It's 7.45 Central African Time and our economics update. Up next with Tabi A very good morning. I'm Tabi Sorohoku and this is Channel Africa. The South African Reserve Bank Governor, Lesetja Khanyako, says the current low interest rate environment can support the economy. He was addressing the media on Thursday after the bank's five-member monetary policy committee decided to keep the repo rate unchanged at the current 3.5%. We still believe that the monetary policy stance is very accommodative. When you look forward over the forecast period, you will actually realize that for all of this year, all of this year and the next two years, a policy rate is below what we believe to be the neutral rate. And we have decided to keep it there precisely because we are worried about the state of the economy, one, but more importantly, that we actually do not see a demand-side pressures uh, to the inflation outlook building up. 
The National Union of Metal Workers of South Africa, NUMSA, has called off its strike at max steel plants across the country after the company agreed to redeploy workers that were retrenched. Workers embarked on strike on Monday to demand that their colleagues be reinstated. Last month, 99 workers were retrenched at the steel producing company. NUMSA spokesperson Pagamila Lubimachola says, according to the agreement, Max Steel must attempt to place retrenched workers in vacant positions before the end of next month. Furthermore, the settlement ensures that all retrenched workers will retain all monies paid to them, including the severance pay that they were paid prior to them being retrenched, even if they are rehired into a new position. We've also secured in the agreement that all employees who participated in the strike will be paid their wages and benefits in full, even if they down tools during that period. Therefore, the no work, no pay principle does not apply. Nigeria's biggest commercial lender, Axis Bank, has identified eight African countries for potential expansion into the coming years, including Namibia. If successful, competition is expected to be heightened in the country since Axis Bank is said to be an aggressive institution. Axis Bank's ambition to branch out is aimed at benefiting from a continental free trade pact that gave its first breath on the 1st January this year. The bank currently operates in 12 countries, following a series of acquisitions ranging from Kenya to its home market, Nigeria. As a part of measures to prevent an increment in pump prices of petroleum products and ensure their steady supply, the Zambian government has waived a 25% excise duty on diesel and reduced the tax on petrol from 2.07 Zambian guachas to 64 ngui per litre. Minister of Energy Matthew Ngua says oil marketing companies will now be importing finished petroleum products under the waivers from the 1st January to June this year. Ngua told a media briefing yesterday that the importation of fuel fell under the waivers offered to 87 OMCs is expected to stabilize supply of fuel in the country. Kenya Power has started hooking up small and medium enterprises with small meters in a project expected to cover 55,000 businesses by the end of June this year. The meters are expected to help the firm protect its revenues, giving it capability to switch off defaulting customers remotely, but also reconnect them fast in case of outages through automatically generated surveillance alerts. Now, the company started rolling out the devices by replacing postpaid meters for its large customers, which contribute to the biggest chunk of its revenues. The US dollar is trading at 379.73 Nigerian Nara, 10.84 Botswana Pula. 1093 Kenyan shilling and a 2131 Zambian guacha. In BRICS currencies, we'll start in Brazil. One US dollar there is trading at 5 rule 31. Russia, 73 rubles 62. India, 72 rupees 91. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 61.46. And in South Africa, it's a trading at 14 rand 87. The US dollar is also trading at 72 pence to the British pound and 82 cents to euro. Looking at commodities markets, gold is trading at $1,863 and platinum $1,112 per ounce brand crude $55.60 a barrel. From an African perspective, I'm Tabiso Lohoku and this is Channel Africa.
Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. In our sports update, we begin with football news. Well, football's governing body, FIFA, has published a strongly worded statement amid reports some of the world's biggest clubs could form a new competition. FIFA has threatened to ban any player or club involved in breakaway competitions amid renewed talks of a European Super League involving some of the world's biggest teams. A breakaway continental tournament has been mooted and discussed for years with Barcelona, Real Madrid and many leading Premier League clubs believed to favour a ring-fenced European League which would include some of the richest and most famous teams. However, this has been vocally rejected by others, including Bundesliga giants Bayern Munich, while UEFA President Alexander Seferin and La Liga chief Javier Tebas are among the most ardent critics of the breakaway plans. The South African cricket team is all set to play its first series in Pakistan in 14 years. The South African team arrived in Karachi on Saturday. They are set to play two tests and three twenties. SABC Sports Cricket Analyst Kolele Sochalelo says the Proteas will play under tough conditions. Tough conditions. And I mean by tough, it's, you know, it's, it's a situation that none of those players would have found themselves in. I mean, if you look at the IPL and the sort of security that is around the IPL and at times, players would come across situations where they're being escorted by perhaps the army or, you know, high level of, of, of enforcement with live wire machinery. And so the difference now, touring to Pakistan, it's not only that, it is a situation of a biobubble or biosecure environment. See. Kolele says playing cricket under the bubble secure environment is an expensive exercise. At the very last hour to organize themselves a chartered flight to uh, Karachi, which was something which was costly, first of all, but in also trying to avoid any cases of, uh, of COVID and coronavirus. But it, it's certainly a different uh, series for all of those players. None of them would have toured Pakistan. Um, and if you look at Pakistan themselves, they haven't played a lot of test cricket at home. None of those players, you know, I, I could count Azar Ali, Baba Azam, Safriz Ahmed, um, Yasir Shah, who would have perhaps played one or two and even at most four test matches in Pakistan. Because for a very long time, in this past 12, 15 years, they've needed to seek asylum in the UAE and playing a lot of matches in Abu Dhabi, you know. The world of sport calendar is dictated by the COVID-19 pandemic and the most events get cancelled and postponed, especially junior and amateur events. Swimming South Africa President Alan Freds has more on the calendar under South Africa's adjusted level three. It's going well. We had, uh, you know, we had a setback. Uh, we with the announcement of the president uh, recently uh, of the adjusted regulations uh, for level three, we have stopped all competitions and will review that on the 25th of this month. Uh, uh, but uh, as far as competitions are concerned, we are planning for the Grand Prix in, in Stellenbosch. And that Grand Prix will be a qualification event. Uh, we had to cancel, unfortunately, the one in uh, Port Elizabeth. Uh, but we're reviewing the situation from time to time.
Uh, we've also adjusted, uh, and it will uh, reach the media very soon, all our junior level competitions. Our senior level competitions is still scheduled um, as of our, our calendar. Rwanda's national basketball team is hard at residential training ahead of the upcoming FIBA Afro Basket 2021 qualifiers window that is scheduled for the 17th through the 21st of February in Tunisia. That's the sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. And for the week, from myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzora Magaza, technical producer Wiseman Mangrele, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Stimela with a song titled Where Did We Go Wrong? Goodbye and keep safe. <laughs>